Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast with my colleague Sam Hengeli. I'm your host, Stephen Abram. Today, we're speaking with former Texas Longhorns and overseas guard, A.J. Abrams. A.J., Sam and I really do appreciate you, you know, taking the time to, to talk. You know, hopefully you have some really good stories tonight, but uh, you know, Sam and I have been kind of eager to talk to you for the past couple of weeks. I've been you know, hitting Sam up and telling him, like, man, we're going to get A.J. Abrams on, but uh, we're, we're very, very appreciative of you of coming on. Yeah, man, I, know. I appreciate you guys having me. I know it's kind of kind of hit or miss. I know my, my, my Instagram responses are not the best, so I appreciate <laughs> you guys working with me a little bit. <laughs> um, AJ, before we kind of get into your, like, you know, overseas career, if you want to just talk a little bit about what you're doing now, currently you're the owner of Supreme One Realty, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I started this uh, real estate company uh, a little over... Uh, actually, we're going on going on three years now. So I've been in real estate for about eight years now. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that question a lot. It's like, okay, well, you went from basketball to real estate. What's the correlation, or what made you do that? I left the game on my on my terms. You know, I didn't get hurt or anything like that. I just you know figured it was time to do something else. And uh, you know, people had talked to me about doing some some things, and I was like, uh, and kind of wrote them off. And then my sister kind of brought to my attention that you know I should get my real estate license and. Again, the first thing I thought was like, "Oh no, I don't want to be a sleazy car salesman or a huge car salesman." But and and that was just ignorance on my part because I didn't know a lot about the industry, didn't know a lot about it. So I started looking into it. You know, my, my last year I was playing, kind of kind of put my ducks in a row as far as what I wanted to do, and uh, you know, kind of figured out that it was literally just like sports. You know, you get out what you put into it, and uh, you know, those that do that are the ones see are the successful realtors and, and have the successful brokerages. And, um, like I said, started been doing it for about eight years now. It's um, it's a very rewarding business, very very tough business. Everybody kind of thinks they're a realtor or, or they're in real estate until they actually get into it and see the, all the ins and outs and how tough it is to actually you know build a successful real estate practice. And that's what was intriguing to me about it, simply because it's more so of all right, this is still a competitive game. How can I be better than the next person? But at the same time, I'm still getting to help a ton of people, whether it's the agents that are in my company or, you know, my clients that I've been able to help that probably didn't even think that they could buy a house. And I was able to help them and educate them on that process. And then, of course, you know, when you're helping sellers, you know, achieve their goal and accomplish what real estate really is, which is an investment and, you know, building generational wealth for themselves. Yeah. Um, have you noticed, you know, since you've been there for eight years, have you noticed a trend of maybe former athletes in various sports, maybe after their playing careers over, go that real estate route? I, I've seen it, honestly, bro. I've seen it more on the commercial side. So I dive more into the residential side. I, I literally, I mean, I have a commercial agent, but I, I don't have any liking of commercial real estate whatsoever because I'm more of the relationship type. I want to make sure that, you know, I get to see the, 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 the joy on people's faces when they either sell or buy a house. Um, and on the commercial side, it's, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And I think, you know, on the athletes, uh, that's kind of where they're being drawn to because it's kind of cut and dry, do the deal, move on to the next. Um, and so for the people that I know that have jumped into it, they've, they've gone on more of the commercial side of things, which, again, nothing wrong with that. It's, it's just, a, you know, kind of what kind of what fits your personality and what kind of fits what you're looking to do for your next career after sports. For me, it was, you know, I like 
you know, I sound real weak when I say this, but whatever. I was like, I like closure, you know. <laughs> I like to see the, uh, the the beginning, middle, and the end. And with real, with the commercial, it's more so of, all right, here it is, and we're done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I know you, you know you've been there eight years, and I'm sure you've done a really good job. And, but you did spend, I think it was three or four years overseas playing uh, right after you graduated from Texas. Um, yeah, yeah. I know. You so can- at, right after. Right after I went, I was over in, uh, my first year was in Greece, and then I went to Italy, and then I was in the Czech Republic for two years. Mm-hmm. We, now, we've had a few college basketball players, former college basketball players on that did play overseas that talked a little bit about, like, what life is like playing overseas basketball. Can you kind of maybe get into detail about, like, how that is and maybe kind of maybe how shocked you were, you know, going playing from – you know, playing in the United States for for your entire life and then playing, you know, a different country or different countries. Yeah, for sure. So it's a, uh, I mean, if, if any other person tells you that they're not shell-shocked, they're lying. I'll be honest with you when I say that. And, and me personally, you got to think about it. I was coming from, you know, air quotes, the University of Texas. You know, everything was pretty much spoon-fed to us. Whenever we travel, you know, we drive the bus right up to the plane. Food is already laid out for us. You know, we know you can literally smell it as you're walking on. So you get excited. You're like, oh, yeah, we got steak tonight or we got lobster tonight. Whatever the case is, you know you're getting fed something really good, flying right to the, you know, wherever you're going, hopping on the bus right to the airport. The biggest, excuse me, right to the hotel. The biggest shock for me when I got over there wasn't even really basketball related. It was the travel. Because, again, you're spoon-fed over in, in college. And I'm not saying it's just at the University of Texas. I'm pretty sure it's at every program. Because you got you got managers that carry your bags for you. They load the plane. They load the bus. They they, they take the bag up to your room. Or they take it off the bus so you can get it just, you know, walk it up to your room. And, you know, when I got over to Europe, when we started traveling, we're like on 10, 11-hour bus rides. If we did fly, when I got to check, um, well, excuse me, when we went to Italy and check, we started flying a little more. But it was, you know, walking through the airport, having delays, you know, just kind of waiting for the plane. We're on the we're on the plane with other people. I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> why why are we not on a private plane driving to the game, driving to the airport? I mean, excuse me, riding to the airport or whatever, and and hopping around on the plane. So that was the biggest shocker for me, kind of getting going. It's like, all right, do I? I feel like more of a professional in college from a travel standpoint, as opposed to you know now getting paid to do this and having to walk through an airport. I know it sounds like super bougie and super like, oh my god, but that that was kind of the reality that we had, you know, coming from a major university going over to in Europe, which again you're getting paid to play basketball, which is awesome. But nobody really thinks about the other thing that goes along with it to kind of make you feel as if you're a professional or not. I got a I got a question relating to kind of a little bit about pro. As a pro, like you feel like you you were like a better basketball player when you're playing pro. You can just focus strictly on basketball and like recovery all stuff. Like when you're in college, you also have to like you have the stress of academics and focusing on studying for this exam as well as uh, trying to win win the game so do you, how much do you think like playing pro basketball you might have maybe felt like you're a better player because you didn't have to worry about some of the stresses that a college would face yeah i mean it makes it a lot easier to be honest when you, when you go the professional route because that's now it's your job now you know, when you're in college, you're you're an athlete first. And I don't care what anybody says. You're an athlete first that has to make the grades in order to continue playing. So, you know, I, I've taken tests on planes. 
we had we had study hall when we we're at the hotels and you know one some of the hardest things to do is you have you know a big monday game and you have the late game and you fly back and you got class eight o'clock in the morning and you got back at two you know and so that makes it makes it tough to wake up not only the next day but to continue to kind of recover from that game get your treatments and of course then you got to go back to the drawing board for the next game that's coming up in a few days so you know, flipping to the professional side of things, it's, you know, it's all the basketball, all the training, all the weights, all the uh, recovery that you that you need, and you can really dedicate some time for it because, again, that is, that is your job. Mm-hmm. You, you did mention earlier you were kind of shell-shocked, a little surprised, you know, 10, 11-hour <laughs> trips. What is, like, the atmosphere like in these different countries and – is, are these like hotel rooms and places that you stayed at, were they like really in well-kept condition? Like, I'm curious about that. No, no. So, you know, and, and I'm, I guess I kind of painted a bad picture, but the, the travel side of it was the part that I didn't like. We stayed in nice hotels. You know, the planes were, planes were nice. The, uh, the atmosphere for the games was amazing. The thing that I had to kind of get used to, especially over in Greece, is that I mean, you could, you could, at that point in time, I'm not sure if it's still going on now, but you could smoke, you know, cigarettes inside the stadium, you know? And so that made it tougher. You walk in, you're like, well, shit, it smells like cigarette smoking here. What's going <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, I, and I'll tell you guys another story too, but, you know, um, it was, you know, the, the atmosphere is amazing because you got, you got people that love their team. It's like literally, for every European team that's over there, their fans are equivalent to Dallas Cowboy fans. And you know how everybody hates, I mean, I'm a Cowboy fan, but everybody hates the Dallas Cowboy fans because of what they act. Just put that on every European team's fans, and that's how they act towards their towards their team, which makes it a fun environment to play in. Um, they, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever watched a soccer game, but you know how the people on the bench have that covering that covers, you know, as on the bench? That was yeah. the first that I had saw that in basketball because, like, the fans may get a little upset. They may start throwing stuff at you. I mean, I, mean, I remember one time we had a game and at uh, halftime, the other threw were, like, throwing full meters at us. We're like, what is going on? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, it's a different environment. I didn't understand um, – you know the whistling at first. Like if you ever, if you ever go to a European game and you and you start hearing a lot of whistling, that's not a good thing. That that's their that's their equivalent to a boo. You know, <laughs> you're getting booed if they're whistling at you. You know, um, the the other biggest shock that I had, and I, we actually did a story uh, over there. Uh, I had to do like an interview because it was again a, a big shocker. Is that a lot of, especially in Italy, a lot of my teammates smoked like cigarettes. You know, and, and going back to the long bus rides, every time that we would break, let's say that we were on a five-hour, six-hour bus ride or even longer, if we if we had a break, you know, bathroom break, snack break, or anything like that, stop at a gas station, some of my teammates would literally get off the bus and light one up. <laughs> and again, you're like, <laughs> you're like, you're supposed to be like some fine-tuned athlete. You know, I'm, I was physically prepared, you know, the, <laughs> the strongest I had ever been in my career. And then I'm watching my teammates just get off the bus and light one up. And then they would go out and like play really well. <laughs> uh, Len Dawson, when he, uh, after the, I think it was after the Super Bowl, he lit one up in the locker room. 
<laughs> yeah, you know. And so they they the, like the the press would ask me, um, you know, before and after games, hey, is this you know very very culturally different, or is this something that you guys experience in the states? We're like, yeah, no, we don't smoke cigarettes before the games. <laughs> <laughs> Moving now over to the start of your basketball career, everything's been kind of local for you. You know, you you're now you're having your career in real to uh, in real yeah, time yeah. in Texas, and that's where you grew up. You grew up in Round Rock, Texas, and mm-hmm. you went to high school at McNeil uh, High School. You know how I guess. Was was the type of basketball that you played in Texas like was that really competitive? Um, you know, how did all that go down? Because um, I know yeah. it's, it's it's there's so much different types of high school basketball across the country. You know, different parts in the East Coast, different parts in the West Coast, and then in the South for, Southwest for you guys. I, I talk a lot of mess about it now because I don't think it is as competitive as people say it is. But, you know, when I was playing, it was like, you know, either you either you were winning or you got you were, you know, the next guy that was coming right after you, you know, trying to trying to take your trying to take your spot. And I think that's what kind of drove us. If you I don't know if you guys know a lot about Texas basketball, but, you know, growing up playing, you had you had people like C.J. Miles, Curtis Gerald, Byron Eaton. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people, Henry Dugat, there's a lot of people that, that came out of Texas that, you know, made it very competitive, especially on the AAU circuit and then going into the camp because you would see the same people over and over again, especially if it was an invitational type of camp. You know, you're seeing the same people over and over again. And, and with you guys being from, you know, that Kansas area, Lawrence area you know me and mario somers literally would be at every camp together and we were always either roommates or always on the opposing team you know playing against each other so a lot of times people don't realize that when you go up to college is that you know we've played against these people so many times so it's not anything that you know we've, we've played in the aau circuit with them you know going to camps and so it's more so like all right cool you play for who now all right we'll see you we'll play you know, you know, yeah. I think it's I think it's more exciting for the fans to actually see the matchup. But it's like, yeah, we've been matching up for quite some time now. It's not it's not a huge deal for us. Um, but just to kind of you know talk about the landscape of Texas basketball, it's you know Texas is a huge state, and so that means there's a lot of basketball players, and a lot of basketball players means there's a lot of tournaments, and a lot of tournaments means there's a lot of competition. So. You know, obviously, you want to play against the best, and you know, if someone gets the best of you, you're you're hoping for the next tournament to roll around as quickly as possible, so you can so you can get them back. And you know, me personally, I would I literally would fluctuate between being the number one player in the state and being the number two player in the state. You know, and it would be all indicative of if I had a good tournament or not. You know, a good AAU tournament, and mm-hmm. if that person had a, a good one, you know, the, the next ranking that would come out, they would be number one. And if if I had a good one, I would be number one, and that that's how that's how it would fluctuate and, and and how competitive it would be. You were the, is it still correct that you're the all time leading scorer at your high school? Yeah, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna be broken anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> you had uh, just you had almost twenty six hundred uh, career points. So was you know Rick Barnes was the coach at Texas when you were there. How was like how many schools 
we're recruiting you. I mean, obviously, you know, you went to Texas in your own home state. Um, but yeah. was there a lot more national uh, exposure? Were there like, you know, Kansas is not too far from you guys. Like how, how many schools were kind of offering you scholarships? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you uh, a funny story about, you know, what happened with me in Kansas. But, uh, yeah, so my, my friends pretty much begged me. And, again, I don't know why. They just liked Patino at the time. But uh, they begged me to go to Louisville. And I was like, bro, I don't – I don't, I'm good. I don't want to go that far. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> I'll stay here. I got my first kind of quote-unquote offer in, like, seventh grade from Florida, right? And it was coming back from – uh, a AAU tournament that we had played in, and actually it was in, it was in that was it Disney World that little that campus that they where the bubble yeah, was. the worldwide leader worldwide yeah. sports yeah yeah and so we had and I, again at seventh grade I didn't think much about it I didn't really care I was just like all right that's that's cool and that was like literally the end of it I didn't really think much about it and then when it started getting a little bit more serious um, Ohio State was like a kind of a, a, a big one uh, Louisville but I, I tell I tell people at Texas all the time I was like yo I had to be your easiest recruit because one I committed to Texas when I was a sophomore right and so that made it a lot easier for me because I'm like all right cool I already know what I'm, I already know where I'm going to college that takes a lot of pressure I'm good I'm just gonna I get to go hoop and not worry about you know the next level because I already got that figured out however um I mean, like, well, I shouldn't say how. So I, I, I made it easy for myself because unlike a lot of, you know, the players now, and even even when I was growing up, I, I really wasn't a huge fan of attention, you know, that w- that wasn't actually on the court. If it was off the court, like, I, you know, I was a person, like, don't talk to me, I'm fine. You know, I just happen to be somewhat good at basketball, and that's probably the only reason that you want to talk to me, so I'll, I'm good. And so being that type of person, I didn't really want the attention. So when Texas, you know, much offered me and I wanted to go there, it would be a good situation because it's literally 15, 15, 20 minutes away from where I grew up. My parents could come watch me. I jumped on it, but it made it made it an easy decision for me. And so that kind of shut down a lot of my recruiting because if anybody would call, you know, I didn't entertain it. You know, I would just say, hey, you know, I'm good with Texas. So, you know, best of luck to you. Now, this is where you guys will kind of like their story. I don't know if you guys remember the coach at Kansas. His name was Jankowski or something like that. You guys remember him? Is it, yeah, I, I think he's at he's SMU's co- a coach at one point. Uh, Jankovich? Yeah, yeah something, yeah, something like that. Jankovich. Yeah, he called me, and he knew me and Mario were really good. We were really good friends at the time. And uh, obviously the year that we came in, Kansas had a lot of people leaving Miles was leaving, I believe, at the time. And they, had, they were going to be, like, uh, really guard empty. And, I had, again, remember, I had, I had committed for when I was a sophomore. So you're fast-forwarding to my senior year. And, you know, egos start coming out a little bit because, you know, obviously I committed as a sophomore and, you know, it didn't require a lot of effort. I'm like, hey, yeah, I'll be there. You know, we're good. But it started becoming to the point where I'm like, all right, guys, just because I told you I was coming here, I haven't signed anything yet. You still gotta, you still gotta court me a little bit, you know. You still gotta, still gotta act like you want me a little bit, and not not make it as easy as I just made it for you guys. <laughs> and so, uh, Kansas started calling, and I literally called all the coaches down there, and I said, hey, Kansas keeps calling me. And I'm starting to entertain it simply because y'all are like kind of just writing me off as, you know, as 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 a shoe in. Which obviously I wanted to go there, but again, I felt that 
I still needed to be courted a little bit because it wasn't like I was a scrub. You know, I was, you know, one and two player in the state, leading my team to, you know, to 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 regional finals and things like that. And if you looked at my team on paper, we should not have done anything good. <laughs> you know, we didn't have like a very dominating roster. And so the the funny thing is, as soon as I told, I, I made that phone call to them, we had a game the next day, and literally. Who do I see walk in and go sit down on the, on the behind the bench? Rick Barnes. I was like, okay, thank you. Just show me a little bit of attention, and I'll be good. Just stroke my ego every six months or so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so after, after he did that, I was like, all right, bro, thank you. And you know, I shut down all the Kansas stuff. And then at that point in time, it was it was time to you know do the letter of sign your letter of intent and all that good stuff. And so yeah, then it's kind of done, said and done after that. Interesting. Okay. I think, I don't know, I think what you kind of said now is, I don't know, maybe different than high school recruits now. Like, there's a lot of top players that will maybe entertain, you know, six to ten schools, and you'll see them, you know, put, um, thanks to, you know, thanks Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, and they just have, like, kind of like an open yeah, mind for all these schools lined teams. up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it seems like that it's, was, it's a surprise. It's uh-huh. a surprise to the school when they actually make the decision. I'm like, this this can't be fair. <laughs> you know, uh, both Sam and I are interested in like once you once you committed to Texas, you're starting. You're about to start your freshman season. The 2006 team that you were freshman yeah. on was loaded as heck. It had <laughs> PJ Tucker, who is still in the NBA right now, Lamarcus Aldridge, yeah. who just retired a couple of days ago and he had I mean a really dang good career in the NBA um yep. just kind of like when you got there like how did it feel like man I'm like I'm playing with two really good guys on this team right off the bat so that's kind of like the the fan mindset as a player you don't have that mindset right. whatsoever you're you're going in there thinking like all right what do I got to do to get on the court and for for me, again, I, you guys obviously saw me as a freshman and, and saw that I wasn't some dominated specimen that would walk in. You know, I wasn't six five, you know, two twenty five or anything like that. So my whole mindset was like, all right, cool. What do I got to do to get on the court and actually show? Because a lot of people had already written me off and they had designated me, quote unquote, hometown kid. You know, I can't I can't tell you how many times I heard, oh, the only reason you're going to Texas is because you're from Boston. And I'm like, uh, okay, let's 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 prove a few people wrong right here, simply because that's not true. Otherwise, you know, I don't think they're going to waste a scholarship just because I'm the hometown kid. So it wasn't, you know, my the biggest person that that helped me kind of get going was Daniel Gibson, and and he was the one that everybody was like, well, why are you going to go there? You're going to have to play behind Daniel. And my mindset again is a little different than a lot of these players back then, and a lot of players now, because they want to be guaranteed a starting job, otherwise they're not going to the school, which I think is pretty much the weakest mindset ever. You know, you want something spoon fed to you or just handed to you without even having to earn it. Uh, and that wasn't me. That's not how I grew up. That's not how I got to the University of Texas. That's not how you know my my whole high school career went. It was like, all right, I got to put the work in to actually get to where I want to be. Um, and you know being told that I really wasn't going to play simply because there was a lot of players there, you know, you, you, you kind of hold on to that and use it on a daily basis to, you know, one, get better to learn. Cause there's a, there's a huge difference from high school to, uh, to college, which is why you see a lot of people that are McDonald's all American, you know, in high school, 
their game doesn't really translate right away in the college level simply because it's a whole different game. And so you're you're learn you're learning a lot and you're trying to, you know, still be competitive and, and, and earn your stripes, so to speak. And so that's, you know, kind of what I did. It was I got a chance to talk to Daniel, who was my roommate, you know, my freshman year, and just learning learning about the game, learning about the differences from, from high school to college. Um, and so it, it wasn't more so, you know, kind of being shell-shocked as far as being, oh, my God, I get to play with these guys. It was like, no, how do I get to fit in with these guys on the court to actually, so we can actually make it, you know, the, the Texas team that people can fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, a, a question about, uh, like, translating from high school to college. Uh, do you think the fact that you're, you're, you're pretty much your three-point shooting was, like, probably your best strength as a player, did that make it, like, super e- easier for you to translate from high school to college? Like, I see some of these, like, McDonald's All-Americans who, like, who rely on athleticism and they, their, their three-point shot really isn't there, so they kind of have a little bit of hard, a hard time. Do you think your uh, ability to shoot made it a little bit easier for you to transition? Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to say just the ability to shoot. I'm going to say the actual s- skill and fundamentals. So there's a, there's a very vast difference of being athletic player and being a true basketball player. You know, there's a lot of people that get hung up on that he's such a good athlete you know, but how does he think? Can he can he outthink his opponent? Uh, is he skilled enough to actually be able to, you know, read read cuts, read screens, you know, read the defense, you know, all that stuff that people really don't think about because it's the non-sexy stuff that goes that goes along with being a, a good basketball player. And I think that's what allowed me to kind of separate myself, or in or not even separate, but just kind of make the transition a little bit easier because. My high school career was a totally different player than what I did in college. Like, I didn't come running off screens and, you know, an off-the-ball player in high school. I was the point guard that scored. So I was coming off playing one-on-one, coming off pick and roll, doing all that stuff. When I got to college, you know, I was thrust into a role based off of the, the style of play that we had. And, again, you want to figure out, because I was a scorer, I wanted to figure out how I could score. And that was what the scheme of our offense was. It was, you know, move the ball, find the open player. And, you know, you, you figure out, all right, cool. If I learn how to read these screens, come off screens, come off down screens, come off pops, like this stuff, you know, that that's how I can get open shots. And so that's what I had to learn, because I didn't do that in high school. That was that was something that, you know, it had to be learned. But the, but the actual skill set of being able to shoot the basketball and being a little bit smarter than a lot of the other Court, I think that's what helped, as opposed to just kind of being an athlete who just goes out there and you know kind of just relies on athleticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one of the things I remember about you was your your release was so quick. Uh, how do you how do you how does a player develop that uh, quickness on their shot to be able to get it off as quick as possible to avoid getting it blocked? It's uh so a lot of people ha- think it has to do with like your actual release itself, and it, it it's not. Uh, I even a lot of people said, "Oh, you had a quick release, just like you said." And it was like, "No, my footwork, which is way better than everybody else's." You know, so my my feet, my footwork, and getting to the place that I needed to be, and having my feet ready to go to get the shot off, allowed for the quick release uh, because I was I was always ready to shoot. If you go if you go look at people that come off screens or eat, come off ball screens or down screens, if with or without the ball. Their footwork is so terrible. That's why their shot is so slow because they're, ha- they're having to gather their gather their feet, and it takes so long for it to get together that their defender catches up. 
So if you go back and watch people that really that have really good footwork, that's why they're able to get their shot up. It has nothing to do with you know how fast I got the, from the shot pocket up to the release. It was just like I was always, you know, my footwork was always ready to go, and 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 putting myself in a position to get the shot off. Um, which player, when you were you know in high school and maybe early stages of college, which player that like in, in that played in the NBA did you kind of watch and try to emulate like that footwork like ray allen was probably at the time maybe the guy that was probably the best at it um yeah did you kind of emulate so ray it, allen or it was him so the, for, for my size I, I was a really big ai fan but our games were not similar whatsoever i just liked him because of his toughness and that he was able to do the things that he did at the size that he was at which is the size that i was at you know uh, games were our, our games were not similar whatsoever. So if we're thinking about you know in high school, yes, I was trying to emulate that or more so of a you know a person that could get their shot off by playing one on one. When I got to college, it was you know going with the actual team for what our offense entailed. It was all right, you know, look at a at a Ray Allen. Let's go look and see how he's getting his footwork together to get his shot off because everybody says Ray Allen has a quick release as well. But if you go back and look, one of the one of the most iconic shots that he has is when he's with the Miami and he's backpedaling from a pass for Chris Bosch to to to, to tie the game up, I believe, or take it into overtime. It was all footwork. You, you know, you tell me what person can backpedal, stop, pop, and shoot the ball. That has nothing to do with the release. You know, that's all footwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what that's what I took away from watching him. And it's it's kind of you know. It's not ironic that you brought him up, but that's the person that I was looking at simply because he was the person that, you know, early on in his career, and a lot of people don't know this, but Ray Allen was dunking on people. He was playing a lot of one-on-one, but then when he got started getting older, he had to change his game mm-hmm. up a little bit and start coming off, coming off screens and, you know, coming a, 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 a shooter that way. Uh, well, another comparison I'd like to uh, – another reason why I kind of make that Ray Allen comparison is both of you guys played with uh, a shooting sleeve when you guys played <laughs> – uh, I love the shooting sleeve that you wore at Texas. <laughs> Bro, it, it was. I still, I still get people that that will walk up to me, and some, some still know my name, and some were like, "Hey, I, I know your face," and I'm like, "Are you sure?" You're like, "Yeah, you played at Texas." And before I can say yeah, they'll tell me, "Man, I love what you did with your with your shooting sleeve. You were the first one to have a two tone shooting sleeve." <laughs> I had the orange and white one, right? And I was like, yeah, that was that was me. <laughs> what was your first impression of, of KD when you first when he first got onto a Texas and camp campus and you got to practice with them for the first time? Well, a, a lot of people don't know that um, KD didn't come right away to Texas. Um, so a lot. When you when you start school, we the, the basketball team starts in the summer. We all have to take a summer. We all have all have to take summer school classes, and that's when we start doing the individual workouts and things like that. So we can kind of start, you know, one getting ready for the season, and two learning each other. But KD didn't come in until the summer was almost over. He had some stuff to do back in Maryland, I believe, and he didn't come in right away. Um, and so we didn't really get a chance to, you know, gel with him right away. And, and to be honest, I don't know if it was ignorance on my part, but I had no idea who he was. I, I knew we were getting a big-name recruit, but when you're going through the trenches of a college basketball season, there's not much time to, to think about 
in or go watch a high school basketball game because you're either watching film for your personal basketball games that you're playing or you're studying or you're on the court. So there really wasn't a lot of time. So I had really never seen him play. And I, I don't know if anybody else had, but that was that was my experience, you know, when uh, when hearing about him. I just know that everybody said he was going to be good, which I was like, all right, cool. We got a, you know, got a good player coming in. That's <laughs> always good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and then when he finally got here, you know, everybody's first reaction was, you know, because KD was really, really skinny at the point in time, but couldn't really play basketball, was really, really good at basketball. And so everybody was like, um, yeah, is he going to be able to last the entire season? Because it gets real physical playing this game. But obviously we all saw it. He was able to hold his on, hold his own, and he got stronger throughout the season because he lived in the weight room. He worked with Coach Todd you know, religiously making sure that he was ready to take the physical beating that he was about to take because, you know, our offense kind of ran through him. Um, and so I think what, happened, what what helped him a lot was me and DJ helped him a lot because they couldn't really leave us. Otherwise, we would shoot it, you know, that, and, you know, we had some really good percentages. So that kind of freed up a lot of space for him to go to work. And uh, he spent a lot of time in the post where, you know, perfecting that turnaround jumper that he, that he shot in college. Uh, doesn't really do it a ton now, but that's what, kind of where he lived uh, for our offense and kind of running it through him. Yeah, de- definitely. Uh, it's such an incredible talent. Like, watching him in college, you just knew that he was going to be, like, something in the NBA, and uh, he definitely lived up, has lived up to that hype. Um, I got one, one game, I, I just remember the game at Allen Fieldhouse in 07. Kenny just goes <laughs> off in the first half. Um, yeah. what, what was it like playing in that game? And uh, and what was it like just seeing KD just have, like, such a memorable game that night, that day? It's, um, you know, when you when you go into Fog, Allen, you, of course – You've, you've heard all the stories of, you know, how it's a wonderful place to play and the fans get into it. So that was my sophomore year. And so at that point in time, you only played these teams in the, in the Big 12 North once a year. So my freshman year, we didn't play Kansas at Kansas. Mm-hmm. Kansas came to Texas. And so, of course, the following year, so that's this is everybody's first time that was, a, you know, that came in last year. This is their first time in Fog Allen. And, of course, the freshman that came in this year, this is their first time at Fog Allen as well. And, uh, and it's a unique experience because, again, you, you go in and you witness in all the historical aspects about it, and you get a little shell shock as you walk in. You know, as, it, as you start warming up and the game is going, obviously that, that fades away, but you're like, oh, boy, it's Paul Gallen, you know, as soon as you walk in. But uh, the game itself, you know, you could kind of sense that when he hit his first couple of jumpers, just like, oh, they may be in for a long night, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I honestly, I think he got hurt that game for a little bit and had to leave. Uh, yeah, he had that ankle. I think it was like an ankle problem in the second half. Yeah, yeah, and then he came. Then he came back, I believe. But you know, watching, especially someone at that age, and it goes back to what I mentioned before. You know, everybody that's a you know an All American in, in high school. You know, sometimes their game doesn't translate, especially in a hostile environment of of, of, of the Fog Allen. And you know, KD never really seemed phased by it. Um, and I think what what helped him is that, you know, we had some really tough, grueling practices. I, mean, I remember my freshman year, uh, you know, Rick Barnes made me play defense for the entire three hours. And he was like, yeah, we know you can score, but you're going to learn how to play defense. I was like, all right, cool. That's fine. And so literally, you know, for three hours, I'm playing defense. And, you know, you fast forward to 
at that well, let, me, let me back up. At that point in time, Rick Barnes, I guess, was to motivate because he he finally reneged on that statement my senior year. But he goes, AJ, you're the worst defensive player I've ever seen. I was like, yeah, that can't be true because I'm not that bad. I, I get steals, you know. <laughs> you know that's what I'm thinking. And then so you fast forward to KD's freshman year, and KD didn't really like playing defense, or he didn't do it a lot. And coach called him out, and in the practice and in the film room. And so in in the film room, he was just going, just going, going at KD. And you know, I, I don't think this is the first time that KD had ever been not not quote unquote yelled at, but just kind of got on. And you could see it was written all over his face when practice started. And uh, coach noticed it as well, stops the practice and says, AJ, tell KD that it can get a lot worse for him. I was like, okay, what do you want me to tell him? Like, is he gonna, are you going to put him on defense for three hours like you did me? So I had to go over and tell KD. He's like, yo, bro, it's fine. Just, you know, put effort on defense and he'll leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, that's really, really cool to hear. Um, what team did you have the most success against when you played, and uh, what 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 was like the thing that uh, that you just felt like, oh, this is this this uh, opponent we're playing against? You know, I I just just feel that vibe, I guess. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the team that did have did not have a lot of success against, and that was A and M. But I have no clue why. I have I, I I don't think I ever had a good game against A and M, but especially if it was at A&M. And it wasn't because it was, you know, it wasn't like a huge hostile environment. It wasn't the loudest place you played in. But I, I don't know what, I never had a good game at A&M. But the team that, you know, I would, I was like, all right, I'm, I know I'm going to have a good game tonight. And I think it was because of the Austin rivalry that was kind of built up was against Baylor. I don't know if I was always super juiced to play them, but they had a guard, uh, Curtis Geralds, that was from Austin mm-hmm. as well. And we played against each other so much in high school and, you know, AAU. And even we played on the same AAU team a, a couple of times. And so I don't know if I was extra juiced to play them, but I literally always had a good game against Baylor. <laughs> yeah. Um, who was who the toughest player you had to guard? And then who was the toughest defender you had to face? Uh, the toughest? Oh, that, it's an easy question. Not, it's not even in the Big 12. It's, you know, Derek Rose uh, when we played Memphis in the Elite Eight. Um, you know, you kind of underestimate. Well, you know, not underestimate, but you. Everybody's saying that he's super athletic, and, and until you get to experience how athletic he is, you, it kind of gets downplayed. And you know, we talked about before that you know, quick release, and I talked you talked about the footwork and everything. You know, I got a pass in that game on the wing, wide open. Uh, you know, and that's literally cash money for for me. A wide open shot, and literally out of nowhere, here comes Derrick Rose, and he blocks my shot, and I'm like, oh. All right. Didn't see you coming there, bro. All right. <laughs> you know, uh, so the, I would say the best player, yeah, um, or, or the toughest player uh, was by far just in terms of athleticism was, would be Derrick Rose. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you kind of mentioned Derrick Rose because that's a, kind of a, a, a segue to maybe, you know, the your junior season. Both Sam and I have asked you questions about, you know, freshman and sophomore season. Um, but statistically, that was – I think your best season in 2008, you averaged 16 uh, points a game. You were named uh, all Big 12 second team. In your freshman season, you, you had P.J. Tucker, LaMarcus Aldridge, um, and then, you know, obviously Durant. But he was only there for one year. You know, he left. 2008 yeah. kind of seemed like it was you and D.J. Augustine's team. And Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the we, 2000- and we, were, we were juiced about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and – 
you know, I know from, you know, from Sam and I, uh, Sam and I, you know, we've obviously watched you go to battle with Kansas. You and Kansas had just three straight years of just constant battles in the Big 12 tournament. Um, yeah. You guys were loaded. I mean, you guys, I think the 2008 Texas team was probably one of the best teams that Rick Barnes put together. Um, I agree. I mean, I know you did have that loss to Memphis um, in the Elite Eight, and that was, I think, your second. I and mean, I don't want to bring back me- bad memories, but, I mean, that was – you guys did make it to two Elite Eights in three years. So, yeah. I, you know, yeah. kind of just talk a little bit about that 2008 season. It was a season that we were we were guard-heavy, and, and, and Rick finally – I shouldn't say finally. Rick put a, a game plan together that allowed me and DJ to kind of roam and, and do what we did. We gave other schools the hardest time in, in like, you know, looking at film or scouting us is because we would literally just do random ball screens or just random down screens. We didn't really have an offense. We had a lot of smart players that year. It was all feel. I mean, if you go back and look at it, we we rarely called a set play. It was it was all freelance and, you know, just reading our our defenders. And, you know, and, and making plays out of that way. And I think that's what kind of allowed us to be, um, you know, uh, a pretty good team that year is because we got to we got to use our instincts and got to be able to read the defenses. And we were all intelligent enough and, and had the skills enough to read it and make the proper plays. Uh, and so you know, going into the season, me and DJ, you know, it was it was a really good feeling because DJ knew where I, that was our, what our second year of playing together. So now DJ knows where I'm going to be. He knows where he knows my tendencies. Um, you know, we kind of fed off each other and we had a big man inside that, you know, Connor and, and, and Dexter and even Damian James that would, you know, take a lot of pressure off of, you know, the outside scoring because they they had to they had to worry about, you know, spinning them inside. How big of a load was Dexter Pittman in the paint? When he was fresh, he was a really big load. But the problem <laughs> with Dex is that he would only be able to go up and down the court a few different times and then we had to <laughs> sub him out. So <laughs> But, you know, when he, and he, and he finally got that right, you know, he worked on his conditioning, um, quite a bit for the following year and we used him quite a bit, but it was, you know, for first for him getting going, it was more about conditioning because, you know, if he was fresh, nobody could stop him. It was just the point of, you know, how many times could we run up and down the court with him and then he gets tired and then he starts making, you know, mental errors because everybody makes mental errors when you get tired. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I knew, like, as soon as we did this podcast with you, I was just like, just gonna have all this nostalgia of like watching all these like, former, <laughs> for, like former Texas players that I watched on TV. Like, oh man, yeah, that's who. The, like, I, I mean, I remember a lot of these guys, like Damian James, Dexter Payne, yeah. you know, Connor Ashley. You remember, but the 2009 season was your last season that you played at Texas. Yeah. You ended up breaking the uh, Big 12 career record for three pointers with uh, 389. Lace Darius Dunn actually is second from Baylor. Uh, uh-huh. Is Dunn from was Dunn from Texas as well? I believe so. Yeah. Um, no, no, Dunn. I think I think Lace was from wasn't he from New Orleans? Or was that Tweedy? I think, I I, I, th- I think so. Um, I feel I feel like Lance Darius was from New Orleans. I, yeah, I think I, I think so. Yeah, but nonetheless, he was he was one that could really shoot it. You know, and, and he yeah he he could fill it up. You also finished 11th in the in the conference, and uh, like this is all the time in, in points. Um, with all that being said, I mean, I know Sam kind of asked you, like the toughest player that you had to guard was, you know, and you said Derrick Rose. 
any any player, you know, considering you played some of these teams, like the Big 12 South teams, uh, uh-huh. twice in one season, like who was maybe the toughest guard that you had to play or or just player you had to play against within the Big 12 Conference? I mean, like Darius Dunn's a name that we just mentioned. Lace is one, but I really didn't have to match up with him. So, again, going back to that Austin rivalry that I had, Curtis Gerald was a really, really big guard. Uh, he he's actually still playing. He's he's doing really well for himself over in Europe, and he actually had a little stint in the NBA as well. Um, but he was a very thick guard with very very good handles, and you know it was you know it was very tough to stay in front of him. And of course, you know, growing up in Austin, it made it you know one we know each other, so it's not like we're going to be surprised by anything that we do. And so that was that was one. And you guys tell me again, who was the other guard besides Mario? I think his last name was Russell. Russell Robinson. Yeah, Russell Robinson. He, his arms were so long that you're like, man, how are you here? You know, and so he was another person that, you know, from a, from an offensive standpoint, if he's guarding you, you really got to, one, take care of the ball and, you know, be on the lookout because he had really good defensive instincts. And so, again, he was only one part. He was the person that we would only play once a year. Obviously, we were playing him twice a year because he was either – you know, playing him in the regular season. And then, you know, at that point in time, we would always match up in the Big 12 championship game. Mm-hmm. So it was it was him. And then, believe it or not, if Texas Tech is a really just tough team to play in general. One, because you really didn't get too amped up to play them because, you know, it's Texas Tech at that time. And their offense was just so – it was literally they, – they would just run in circles. And until somebody got open. I mean, you, you guys literally go, go back and watch some film on Texas Tech. They would literally just sit in the paint, start circling until somebody got open. And you're like, you don't want to guard this, you know? <laughs> Nobody wants to run in circles and, and guard this. And so just, just from a team standpoint, and we had to play those guys twice a year, it was, you know, it, that, that they were just a tough team to play in general. Do you have any memories of playing against uh, when Bobby Knight was coaching at Texas Tech? Was that so? I'm, I'm, I may have to ask my ask you that. Was that was he coaching when I played? Yeah. So it would have been your freshman sophomore year. I think he. I want to say he like he retired in the middle of the year, and his son Pat took over from yeah. like your last two years. I, I, so honestly, I don't. I don't remember. But I, I'll tell you the person that I do remember. It was my freshman year, and it was Coach K. So we it was we were number two. Duke was number one. That was when JJ Reddick was there. They also had um, Sean Dockery, Sheldon Williams inside, and the other point guard. He was my age. Uh, Paul Greg Paulus. I don't know if you guys remember him. Yeah, but, Greg Paulus you know, played like football played at Syracuse. Football, for Syracuse. A year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you know, obviously, you hear a lot about Duke. Especially if you're in the basketball world, you're 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 you know everybody talks about Duke. If you're Dick Vitale, Dick Vitale, that's all. That's the only team that he ever really talks about, anyway. You know, and, and and it's not it's not a bad thing. You know, they're always good. So I'm not hating on Dick Vitale for that, but it's just like that's the only team he ever talks about. And so you know they get a lot of press, and of course, of course, Coach K is like the catalyst behind that. And so you know, freshman year we play we played Duke in the Meadowlands, and of course they they made it as if it was a Final Four game. This is the only game ever that when the when the starting lineups were introduced, we all went to half court and shook each other's hand. We're like, yo, this is like the fourth game of the season. What are we doing? And they made it like it was the national championship game because it was one versus two. And again. They made it as if it was such a big deal. It was the first time that we had that Texas had ever wore black jerseys. You know, we go out there and lay. I think we get smacked by like twenty. 
Yeah, Jamie Reddick cut 41. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, going back to the the whole point of the story is that, you know, the coach that, you know, kind of embodies what college basketball, when you think about college basketball, you think about Coach K, and you're, like, walking through the line to shake his hand, say good game, you're like, oh, shit, it's Coach K, you know? (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, I was going to ask, like, I guess best and worst venues that you had to play that you had to go, that you had to travel to when you're at Texas. Texas Tech is the worst, uh, and I'm sorry if anybody's listening to this that's being recruited by Texas Tech. It's just nothing is out there. <laughs> like you, you go there and it's like a pile of dust, and then you want to leave as quickly as you can to get out of there, just because there's really nothing to do but other than go to the hotel and go to the gym. You know, um, and they're, they're, the 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 way that their stadium was set up at the time, it just wasn't loud. And I'll be honest, I didn't really like home games either because our stadium was just too big. I found, obviously, I know they're building another one right now, but the Frank Irwin Center, you know, holds 16,000 people. And at that point in time, we were filling it up. It just wasn't loud because it was too big. And so, honestly, I never thought we had a real home court advantage as, you know, if we're, if we're hosting uh, a Kansas or if we're hosting a Oklahoma State or anybody like that, or Oklahoma. It, I don't really feel like we ever had a home court advantage just because, yeah, it was full, but it wasn't loud, so there was really no intimidation factor. But on the other hand, the hard one of the hardest places to play is, is Oklahoma State because it, the, the building literally just goes straight up, and the fans are pretty much on the court, and it's so loud that you know during a timeout, if we're all huddled together, you still can't hear the person talking because it's so loud in there. You know, when you're talking about a home court advantage, that's what that's what helps because you, you know, now you're distracting the, the the other team from being able to get their game plan because we can't hear each other. Story yep. Gallagher, I'm. Yep. Yeah. The game I think about, I think in your career at Oklahoma State was the game when Byron Eaton like made that like ridiculous shot, like he was yeah. trying to save it, and he just like <laughs> it up, and it just somehow went in. Like, and I and I tell you what, when whenever you see that on the court, you're like, no, okay, it's just not our night. We're not supposed to win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, any neutral court, like like, because you guys had games that were played like in a December or November, like during the holidays, where you played on like a neutral court, yeah. or, or even maybe like yeah. in the NCAA tournament, like any of those arenas, like that you didn't like. Not that I didn't like. Well, you know what? We played Gonzaga. I believe we played them in Phoenix. I didn't really like it there, and I don't know if it was. I think it's where the, where the Phoenix Suns play were played, but they had. I guess they have they have an ice hockey team. I don't know, but the the ice was right underneath the court, and it was just so cold the entire time. I was like, bro, can we we need to start this game over, or they need to get rid of this ice or something because it's just, it's just too damn cold in here. And you know, you're warming up for a long period of time before the game even starts. And I had the hardest time getting warm there because of, you know, that ice that was under there. But I'll tell you the the, the best place, and obviously it sounds cliche, but, you know, anytime you get to go play in Madison Square Garden, that's always a plus because now you're getting that East Coast audience. It's probably going to be a primetime game. And the game that stands out for me, uh, I believe it was my senior year when we played Villanova. And the only reason that it stands out is because Steph Curry – and Davidson played the game before us. And at that point in time, you know, you're looking at Steph. He's getting a lot of hype from the tournament that he had the year before. And so even even Rick Barnes comes up to me and says, you better play better than Steph tonight. I was like, we're not even playing them. What are you talking about? But at the same time, 
I knew that. And so we're watching the game. I think Steph had like 26 that night or something, 24 that night. And so we go in and play Villanova. I'm like, all right, cool. I got to get at least 26. You know, and I think I had like 28, 26, 28, something like that. I, I think I, I think I won the battle that he probably didn't even know we had, but the coach, my coach challenged me. And uh, that's the game that kind of stands out because we won. We beat, you know, Scotty Reynolds and, uh, and Villanova at that point in time. And, you know, uh, especially doing it in Madison Square Garden, it's always a good one. Yeah. Uh, what was it like? What was the uh, Red River rivalry like as a as a Texas player? Um, it wasn't as heated as the football rivalry. And it's because we had to play each other twice a year. And so it was always kind of like, a, you know, if you lost the first one, you could always kind of redeem yourself. Oklahoma is one of those places, too, that, you know, it, it was a very big building, so to speak. And it may not even been that big, but the, the, the way that it was set up, it wasn't as loud as you would hope it for it to be, especially in that type of, you know, because at, at that point in time, you know, Oklahoma was really good. You know, yeah. Texas was really good. Oklahoma was really good. Uh, even before Blake Griffin got there, they were they were, they had some pretty good teams. And so there was we had some pretty good battles. But, you know, you're going back and forth. At, at each other's stadium and you want it to be such a rocking environment to where it's you know it's chaos and you really didn't get that and i, I know fans are probably going to hate me for saying this but it, it's just didn't it just wasn't as loud as they think that it is when you're actually playing um you know in those arenas but for the actual the actual rivalry itself you want to win because a lot of times Oklahoma has a lot of players from Texas and you're like, okay, cool. You, you chose to go to Oklahoma, but you're from Texas. So don't act like you're from Oklahoma, you know? <laughs> you know? And so that's kind of like the, where the rivalry would come from. And of course you, you, when you, when you go to an Oklahoma, when you go to a Texas, you're automatically told to hate at that point in time, A&M, and you're told to hate Oklahoma. So you just kind of get indoctrinated into it or adopted into it to make sure that you uphold that rivalry. At least from what you're telling me, like Texas A&M was more of a bigger rival in basketball than Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. Um, and A&M is, I mean, it, it was just so it was just kind of a weird dynamic because there was a lot of people that that played at A&M that wanted to come to Texas, and so they felt they felt slighted that Texas didn't didn't grab them. And so, of course, when it's time to play, they want to go out and try to show why. Texas should have grabbed them or Texas should have recruited them harder. So that that was the whole dynamic behind that. So it became more of a rivalry and, and that's in the basketball world as opposed to the, you know, the Red River rivalry with, with Oklahoma. What was your most memorable game in your career at Texas, whether it's like a, a great game you had or just like just like an incredible team win that you guys pull, were able to pull off? The easiest one is uh, my freshman year against West Virginia, obviously, that's when Kenton Paulino hit the uh, the game winner. Um, for for me, if you look at it, for me as a freshman to still be in the game uh, and have enough trust from the coaching staff to keep me in the game, um, you know, down, you know, not even not even tied up or not even you know not even ahead to trust me to be the person that brings the ball down the court and you know to find the make the right play. That that always stands out. Obviously, that worked out in our favor when he hit that you know that game winner against West Virginia. Uh, and again, I've mentioned this already, but you know the other one that kind of stands out for me is when we played Villanova because it was one, it was in the Garden, and um, you know it's it's always a, a, a really good environment to play in. But uh, also in that same year, my senior year, we got to go to Maui. You know, every four years uh, you get to go to a different type of tournament, whether it's the Bahamas or you know Maui or something like that. So. Uh, it wasn't just so going to Maui to play, you know, watching basketball, you go and look at, 
you know, in high school, you're looking at all the preseason tournaments and postseason tournaments. And one of the ones that stands out is the Maui Classic. And to be a part of it, you know, that's always it was it was always a fun, fun thing to do to know that you yeah, we got we got to play in the Maui Classic. Yeah, yeah, Maui's probably is definitely my favorite regular season Thanksgiving week tournament. I, I like the, I like the rims there. It, it feels like all it's like soft and like the games are really high scoring. I'd say one of the games I like remember from your four years that that was probably memorable for me was your your guys's win against Texas A and M your sophomore year. I think it was a triple overtime game. Uh, I remember Aiden Law just kept draining threes after threes, and it made made it very difficult. They wouldn't let you guys uh, get get that win easily. Yeah, I, I, I do remember that. It was uh every after every you know overtime. You got your coach yelling at you. It's all right, guys. You gotta, you gotta want to be here all night. We're like, yeah, you're not, out, you're not the one out here running up and down the court right now. <laughs> uh, I got a, a couple more questions um, about kind of like let's uh, talk about like a little bit about training and basketball. Um, how many shots did you make a day, and what were some drills that you you're able to do to like you know, develop that footwork and. Um, and to be able to shoot shoot it with uh, accuracy. So a lot of people thought, you know, that I was just shooting tons and tons of threes on a daily basis. And, and you could literally go ask anybody that knows how to shoot the basketball and is really good at it, that they don't practice a ton of threes. You know, it's part of the actual repertoire, but it's not more, it's not the actual uh, workout itself. So you spend a lot of time inside the work. Making sure that your your fundamentals, making sure that your mechanics are your on your shot are on point. So it was more so staying inside the arc, you know, come setting cones up, coming off down screens, coming off fade screens, and making sure that your that your feet are you know doing the doing the work that they're supposed to be doing to help to help you uh, get the shot off as quickly as possible. And to answer your your other question, I I never was the guy that would sit there and you know even in high school I didn't sit there and, and count shots or how many makes or how many misses. You know, I wasn't the guy that, you know, I hear this a lot. You always got to end on a make. I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, that just means I got something. If I missed my last shot and the workout was over, I didn't try to go make it. I would just, I would tell myself, all right, cool. I got something, got something to work on tomorrow. You know, a lot of people want to make their last shot. I'm like, okay, that, that's fine. Whatever. Um, but I never did count. It was more so of, if I, if I just if I told myself, all right, I'm going to work out for an hour and a half today, I'm going to go hard for an hour and a half. And a lot of times, what happens is people say they're in the gym for five or six hours a day, and I'm like, okay, cool, that that's fine if you're actually going hard for five or six hours a day. But that just really wasn't the case. You know, there's a there's an intensity level that goes along with when you work out, and I was able to get that done in an hour and a half, which is what a lot of people would take four or five hours to do simply because they would just be BSing around for for a huge chunk of time. And so for me, it was like, all right, cool. My hour and a half is, is done. My two hours or my whatever, whatever time I set for myself that day. And, you know, if, if I felt good about it, I would, I would be done. If I did, then, you know, you stay a little longer, but I, I wasn't, I didn't want to count shots to say, yes, I made 500 shots today because it didn't matter if I didn't actually go hard and, and, and do the things I needed to work on. And if a shot didn't go in, if, it just doesn't. Sometimes it just doesn't go in. It doesn't matter that it didn't go in as long as I was doing the drill correctly. Yeah, 
I, yeah, I remember yeah, when I was playing back when I was playing basketball, I did, did a lot of like spot up shooting drills. And I, I, I don't, one of the things that helped me, but I did a lot of like, I like practicing off the dribble. I would like set a chair or a cone and then just try to dribble and just like pull up, practice my jump shot, just practicing off the dribble, maybe doing like a crossover drill. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of different things you can do, um, especially by yourself. You know that that's I think that's the beauty about basketball. Um, you can toss the ball up, run to it, and catch it. You can go off the dribble. You can set chairs up. You can do, you can work on, you know, turning down screens, uh, going off screens with literally with nobody there. You can just use cones or a chair, and you can obviously start using your imagination. If someone hedges hard, you're gonna split it, or you know, if they're gonna stay, you drag them out and take the big men with you. You can put yourself in so many different scenarios, even though there's only one person that's in the gym that's working. Yeah. And then my last question is, uh, what would be your best advice to uh, players that are in like high school who are looking to try to go D1 or just get a college basketball scholarship? Uh, learn the game. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of athletes out here right now, but there's not a lot of basketball players. And it and my in my opinion right now, it would be so easy to separate yourself if you actually learn the game and it can outthink someone. And what I mean by that is, you know, being a step ahead of someone or the other team when it comes to breaking down plays. For example, if I'm if I'm coming off of a of a ball screen, and you know I drive to the paint, who's the open man, or or where's the the quote unquote hockey assist coming from? So if you start learning all that, you can start putting your teams in in better positions to be successful. And a lot of people just again, like I said before, rely on athleticism and don't make the right basketball play. And that's why, honestly, I have a hard time watching college basketball right now. It's because there's so many athletes, but not enough basketball players that actually have a skill level to understand the game, you know. And so if, if, if you're a high school athlete that's really wanting to get to the next level, break down some film, break down, you know, your position so that you can actually understand the, the role of what you do and how you can put your team in a better position. And that literally negates the athleticism when you can outthink someone because now you're already one step ahead of them and they can't, even though they may catch up because of their athletic, you're already past them and putting your, your, your team in a better position. Sam asked a lot of questions and you provide a lot of input. You did a really good job really recapping your whole Texas career. Um, <laughs> because, you know, for, for guys like Sam and I, we've, you know, we've grown up, we grew up watching you. We grew up watching you play on weeknights. We we saw you play on Saturdays and it just kind of really cool to actually talk to you and just kind of experience those moments. And, you know, a lot of these moments like the Texas A&M triple overtime game or the game against Villanova in the garden, like I remember watching those games and it's cool <laughs> that you were able to take us down kind of memory lane. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was awesome. I appreciate you guys, you know, reaching out and allowing me to be on the show. Thank you very much, AJ, for your, your time and uh, and your input and uh, advice to uh, young players out there. I'll definitely have to, I'll definitely use this to uh, help teach other younger younger players to, if who are pursuing their goals in basketball. Yeah, for sure, for sure. If I can if I can help with anything in the future, guys, just let me know. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time tonight, man. Yeah, absolutely, man.